developing your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Hello and welcome to a History of Europe, Kibato's podcast. This is the Schleswig War of 1864, part one of two. In the last set of episodes, I told the story of the War of Unification of Italy in 1859. Ever since the French Revolution of 1789 and the subsequent Napoleonic Wars, the growing movements of national identity which inspired events there had become a powerful political force in Europe. This was no less the case than in Germany, where after the Congress of Vienna of 1815, the once unwieldy Holy Roman Empire was consigned to history and in its place confirmed the German Confederation, an association of 39 predominantly German-speaking sovereign states in Central Europe, its capital in Frankfurt. The Confederation was weak and ineffective, partly because of rivalry between the two more powerful German states, the Kingdom of Prussia and the Austrian Empire, and also in part by design, as the European great powers had no wish to see a strong state emerge in the centre of Europe. It was essentially a military alliance, with the aim of defending Germany against external attacks and also internal riots, and to maintain the status quo 
which was established in 1815. In the year 1848, its various member states were all rocked by revolution to a greater or lesser extent. The revolutionary movements were motivated by liberal, democratic and nationalist sentiments, whose supporters attempted to transform the Confederation into a unified German federal state with a liberal constitution. One area of Europe which suffered particular turbulence in 1848 was the duchies of Schleswig and Holstein on the Danish-German border. Both had been part of the Holy Roman Empire since the Middle Ages, subject to the authority of the Duke, who was also the King. The Kingdom of Denmark proper comprised Jutland and the Danish islands. To the south of Jutland was the Duchy of Schleswig, where, since at least the Middle Ages, the main language spoken was Danish. By the early 19th century, however, the most common language in the southern half had shifted to German. German culture was dominant among the clergy and nobility, while Danish was spoken mainly by the rural population. The more southern duchy of Holstein was populated by mainly German speakers. The Danish state was not untypical of the time as being multi-ethnic. The various nationalities, such as Germans, Danes and Icelanders, expressed their loyalty first and foremost to the monarch as an individual, and so their identification with the state was shaken in the early 19th century, as sovereignty came to be seen more in terms of nation-states than dynastic families. While the German elite in Schleswig wished their duchy to be part of Germany, a nationalist wave in Denmark manifested itself in the promulgation of the so-called Eider Danish Doctrine, which demanded that Denmark's borders extend to the Eider River, which formed the boundary between Schleswig and Holstein. They regarded Schleswig as an ancient core region of Denmark. The southern part of the duchy contains the ruins of the old Danish Viking port of Hedeby, and also the Danavirk, a set of fortifications built around 400 to 500 AD, almost certainly to protect Denmark from migrating tribes during the Age of Migration. The opposing nationalisms was bound to lead to a violent eruption and also fed into the revolution of 1848. By chance, the absolutist Danish king, Christian VIII, died in January 1848 on the eve of the revolution. His successor, Frederick VII, faced an explosive domestic situation when he came to the throne. Giving in to public pressure, the inexperienced new king abandoned the last remnants of absolutism by granting a liberal constitution. He also formed a cabinet who were strong advocates of the Ida Dane doctrine. When the new Danish government proposed that the Duchy of Schleswig be tied more closely with the kingdom, the German population were outraged. War followed between Copenhagen and a breakaway provincial government set up in Holstein. The Parliament of the German Confederation in Frankfurt 
recognised the provincial government and announced elections in Schleswig and Holstein, in effect treating them as part of a German federal territory. This was tantamount to an attempt at annexation and catapulted the conflict to an international level, with the Holsteiners receiving military support from Prussia. The British Foreign Minister, Lord Palmerstone, attempted to mediate and proposed to divide Schleswig along language lines, but this was rejected in the face of surging nationalist feelings on both sides. The conflict, known as the First War of Schleswig, went on with several breaks until 1850, until pressure from Britain and Russia forced pressure from the war, and the Holsteiners were defeated. Attempts to find a compromise agreement with the Treaty of London in 1852 pleased neither side, but at last restored peace for the time being. The great powers then paid little attention until after the Crimean War ended in 1856, when Prussia once more took up the grievances of the German population against Copenhagen. Both sides dug their heels in and tensions continued to simmer. In the meantime, a common culture was developing across the German population of Europe. The German version of the Enlightenment, the Aufklärung, had transformed high culture in music, philosophy, science and literature. And a developing print culture fostered a common German market in books, magazines and newspapers, especially among the middle class. The literary works of Johann Goethe and Friedrich Schiller became enormously popular, promoting the German language and culture, and helping shape the development of German nationalism. Also, philosophers such as Immanuel Kant and Georg Hegel became very influential. At the same time, common bonds were formed across Germany by the fact that degrees from the universities of Halle, Göttingen and Berlin became universally accepted between the Rhine and the Vistula rivers and the larger states such as Prussia were accepting more and more officers from across Germany into their military schools. In the year 1859, a German political organisation was formed called the National Association, or Nationalverein. Inspired by nationalist activity in Italy, it was a small but influential group of liberal intellectuals and members of the commercial middle classes, with the purpose of establishing a strong central German authority. Their aims included greater democracy, the guarantee of civil and religious freedoms, and in Prussia, the reform of the army to make it answerable to Parliament. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. 
So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. For nearly half a century after the Congress of Vienna, in 1815, Prussia had stood on the sidelines of European power politics, avoiding commitments and shying away from conflict. That changed under the reign of King Wilhelm I, who in 1859 became regent following the incapacitation of his elder brother, King Frederick William IV, by a major stroke. Wilhelm acceded to the throne two years later in 1861, already in his 60s. Known as a reactionary, Wilhelm appointed a surprisingly liberal cabinet and proclaimed a new era in Prussian politics in an attempt to diffuse growing agitation from liberal nationalists. It was clear from a map that Prussia was then something of a ramshackle creation, The core areas of the old Prussian state, East and West Prussia, lay outside the German Confederation. The newest part of the kingdom, Rhineland-Westphalia, aided by the Congress of Vienna, was separated from the rest of Prussia by Hanover. Until the accession of Queen Victoria in 1837, Hanover had been ruled by the kings of Britain, but as a woman she was debarred from being a German monarch, and Britain's ties to the area were therefore severed. The western areas of Prussia were, by the middle of the century, proving to be a huge advantage. Traditionally a centre of commerce and manufacture, they were now undergoing a rapid industrialisation, but had to be governed separately, and communication with the rest of Prussia was understandably difficult. Prussia's response to the Italian War of Independence in 1859 was cautious. Wilhelm adopted neither the conservative option of an alliance with Austria, nor the liberal option of a partnership with France against Austria. There were the usual efforts by Prussia to gain influence in Germany at Austria's expense. Wilhelm promised, for example, to assist Austria, but only on the condition that Prussian soldiers be placed in command of all non-Austrian contingents from the German Confederation, an offer which Franz Josef declined on grounds of loss of prestige. At about the same time, Berlin deployed troops to the Rhineland to deter Napoleon III from extending his operations to Western Germany. It is clear in retrospect that the Italian war was a key turning point for Prussian national policy, writes Christopher Clarke in his book Iron Kingdom, The Rise and Downfall of Prussia. In both cases, a strong sense of historical and cultural nationhood existed, particularly within the educated elite, although Italy was divided into seven separate states compared with Germany's 39. 
and in both cases it was Austria that stood in the way of national consolidation. There were also clear parallels between Piedmont and Prussia. Both states were known for their modernising reforms and were constitutional monarchies, and both were manoeuvring to extend their influence by taking advantage of nationalist sentiment. It was therefore easy for enthusiasts of German unity, led by Prussia, to project the Italian events of 1859-61 to onto their own situation. The Italian war also demonstrated a shift in the network of alliances across Europe, most notably the end of the Austro-Russian alliance. In 1848, the Russians had helped the Austrian Empire put down a revolt in Hungary, so they were deeply aggrieved when Vienna made the fateful decision of joining the anti-Russian coalition during the Crimean War of 1854-56. to The Austrians thereby forfeited Russian support, a fact quickly exploited by the Piedmontese in 1859, with their ambitions to expand into northern Italy at Austria's expense. Another significant change was France's growing confidence under Napoleon III to challenge by force the European order established at the Congress of Vienna in 1815. The Prussians, along with the other Germans, became concerned about the potential threat from the French, heightened by memories of the first Napoleon, whose ascendancy had begun with the subjugation of the Italian peninsula and continued with an invasion of the Rhineland. In the end, the Prussians didn't engage in battle in the Italian War of Unification. Nevertheless, the mobilisation was badly coordinated and highlighted the need for military reform. After all, the Italian War was a reminder of the centrality of armed forces to the resolution of power political conflicts. For decades, financial constraints had meant that the size of the Prussian army had not kept pace with the growth of the population. The Liberal faction in Prussia attempted to gain control over their army and to put in place their proposed reforms. However, they made little progress, taking control away from King Wilhelm, who had a keen personal interest in military matters. He had worn a uniform since the age of six and his earliest experience of service was bound up with the flight of his family to East Prussia during the Napoleonic Wars. And he was never happier than when in the company of his fellow cadets and military tutors. In the year 1860, he ordered a major overhaul of the army, calling for a substantial increase in the size of the army. The Liberal politicians agreed with the need for expansion, but their difference of opinion lay in the political relationship between the army and parliament. There was also disagreement about a proposal to extend the service of terms of conscripts from one to three years. Liberals rejected this in part because of cost implications and also because they believed the extension was intended less as a military than as a political measure to ensure that soldiers were imbued with conservative and militaristic values. Wilhelm insisted on the right to decide on what shape the reform should take, leading to a showdown of the Liberals. Seventeen of the most hardline deputies 
broke from the main body of the Liberal faction to become the core of the new Progressive Party. Hoping to bring in a more Conservative Parliament, closer to his beliefs, Wilhelm dissolved Parliament and called for new elections. But the new chamber, returned to the end of 1861, was even more resolutely Liberal than the old, with over a 100 Progressive Party members and just 15 Conservatives. It were no more willing to approve the King's military reforms than its predecessor, and soon was also dissolved. In the stalemate, Wilhelm turned to Otto von Bismarck, known for his strong Conservative views. The second son of a landed noble family from Pomerania, Bismarck was a man of great energy and ambition, who after a misspent youth, during which he fought many duels, settled down and became an envoy to Frankfurt, and then ambassador to Russia. He was a ruthless and calculating politician, and a passionate advocate of Prussian power. He was determined to resist liberalisation of his country, and believed in a strong professional army under the rule of an authoritarian monarch, and a dominant landed aristocracy. Just a week after his appointment as Prussian Chief Minister, Bismarck confronted Parliament head-on. He urged the need for the King's military reforms, famously stating that the great questions of the time would not be resolved by speeches or parliamentary votes, but by, quote, iron and blood, end quote. When Parliament refused to back down and approve the reforms and a necessary increase in taxation, Bismarck just went ahead with the plans anyway. Civil servants were informed that disobedience and political involvement with the opposition would be punished with immediate dismissal, and the Parliament was reduced to ineffectual expressions of outrage. Bismarck's position, however, was fragile, as demonstrated by further elections in October 1863, which returned only 38 pro-government deputies. The King sank into despondency, as political paralysis gripped Berlin. Bismarck underlined his conservative credentials with an agreement with Russia to collaborate in the suppression of Polish nationalism. Although it secured the goodwill of St. Petersburg, this decision was deeply unpopular with liberals sympathetic to the Polish cause and made Bismarck a widely hated figure. His other foreign diplomatic achievement was succeeded in blocking off an Austrian reform project for the German Confederation and staving off Vienna's efforts to join the German Customs Union. Bismarck's position was still precarious and depended entirely on the good favour of the king. His fortunes were soon to be transformed by a war with Denmark in 1864. My name is Carl Rylett and you've been listening to a History of Europe Key Battles podcast. Today's music was the Peer Gint Suite by the Norwegian composer Edvard Grieg. I hope you're enjoying the podcast. If so, why not give it a great review on iTunes or wherever you hear the podcast. It's always great to hear from you. You can write to me directly. Carl, that's C-A-R-L, at historyeurope.net, or get in touch via the Facebook page. 
Before I finish, a quick personal message. The month I'm recording this, August 2022, I'm doing a charity cycle ride for Brain Chimmer Research. More details on the podcast Facebook page and in the show notes. I hope you can join me next time for the second and final part on the Schleswig War of 1864. Until then, all the best and goodbye.